0: You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. On Sirius XM, channel 142, HBCU. You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture. From on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard, we always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio.
1: What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio here on SiriusXM in the building for another important show on today where we're talking about the state of the union as it relates to hbcus and of course president joe biden gave his state of the union address detailing the wins of his administration and the work that lies ahead so i thought it'd be cool if i do the same thing and we talked about hbcus in relation to the federal and state government and later on we'll re-air our 2021 interview with then senior advisor to the biden administration and morehouse alumnus cedric richmond who Came on HBCU Pulse Radio in October 2021 to combat misinformation about HBCU funding being cut and also to talk about the American Rescue Plan and the money allocated to HBCUs in the plan. But let's get going. So let's talk about the good first. And that good is primarily coming from the federal government and from the Biden administration, who's been a willing partner for HBCUs around the nation. Let's start with inside his administration. Because he has several HBCU alum that work in key positions in the administration, including new senior advisor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who is a FAMU alumna and was recently mayor of Atlanta, Georgia. And of course, our bad vice president Kamala Harris, who is a Howard University alumna. That advocacy within the administration led to HBCUs getting over $2.7 billion in funding via the American Rescue Plan that we'll talk about a bit later with Mr. Cedric Richmond. Now, the plan required the HBCUs used least half of the funding to assist with direct financial relief for students, which has been a key initiative for the Biden administration to help college students in managing their student loan debt. But also, the Biden administration responded to the bomb threats that were issued to 36 HBCUs anonymously in January and February of 2022 by allocating grant funding between $50,000 and $150,000 per campus to the affected HBCUs, which was a great move by the Biden administration. It was announced by Vice President Kamala Harris. Now, let's talk about the student debt relief plan. In August 2022, President Biden announced the student debt relief plan, and we reported about it on HBCPost.com. under the plan Pell Grant recipients receive loan forgiveness of up to $20,000 and borrowers that don't receive Pell Grants get up to $10,000 in student relief. Now this Pell Grant piece is key because the UNCF reports that over 70% of HBCU students are Pell Grant eligible, with Black students making up to 72% of Pell Grant recipients amongst all colleges. So this was a big move for Black college students in general and specifically HBCU students. But, of course, it was almost too good to be true, because the student debt relief plan was blocked after lawsuits by six Republican-controlled states and a Texas-based conservative advocacy group. The cases went to the district court, they put a block and a pause onto the student debt relief plan, and the Biden administration is arguing that they have the authorization to widely cancel student loan relief because of the 2003 Heroes Act. And in that act, Congress gave the Secretary of Education the power to remove debt from borrowers with reasoning that is up to the discretion of the Secretary of Education. And now the case has made its way to the Supreme Court that has just started hearing oral arguments about the Student Debt Relief Program, and it started on February the 28th. We hope something good comes from these cases. Now, the challenges that HBCUs are facing are primarily at the state level. As we spoke about last week, HBCU land-grant institutions are still fighting to receive equal funding mandated by the Second Morrill Act of 1890. Now, recently, Tennessee State was provided a $250 million quote-unquote investment from Tennessee Governor Bill Lee and the state legislator for infrastructure improvements, but they're still owed an additional $294 million, and that number is based on an investigation by the Tennessee Office of Legislative Analysis that determined that Tennessee State is actually owed up to $544 million in total. Now, granted, we talked about this ad nauseum on last week and all this year on HBCU Post Digital Outlets, but a new revelation has emerged in Tennessee State's fight with the state legislator. Several Tennessee State alumni taking to Twitter and social media to sound the alarm that the state government is allegedly considering taking over the university, removing its power to self-govern via the university's board of trustees. But that's not all going on in the state government. It's a whole lot more going on because Florida A&M University alumni are bracing themselves as they watch Ron DeSantis go after quote-unquote critical race theory in education, requiring institutions in the state college system to report resources allocated to campus activities regarding diversity and inclusion. FAMU is the only public HBCU in the state of Florida, and they're not a part of the state college system. They're part of the state university system. But that still is under the peer view of Ron DeSantis and his administration. So a lot of alumni around the nation, as well as FAMU alumni in Florida, believe that FAMU can be the next target of Ron DeSantis and the state government. We'll see and we'll be ready if that were to happen. But this continues a trend of states that house HBCUs, Trying to take over HBCUs, yet these same legislators seem to not be doing enough to assist these institutions in their independent development. For example, efforts to secure state funding for a separate water system for Jackson State University in the midst of the city's water crisis has repeatedly been denied by state legislators and this has resulted in university functions often being disrupted. Most recently, move-in day for new students in August 2022 had to be pushed back due to water pressure issues affecting student housing. South Carolina State is seeking $209 million from the state government to complete five capital funding projects to improve university infrastructure. Now, South Carolina State hasn't received full slate appropriations for an academic building in 30 years. That's not right. The state of the HBCU union is what it seems to have always been. HBCUs receive federal support from outreach programs and money allocation. However, the true fight is with state lawmakers to use policy to aid in further improvement and development of our HBCUs. Yet often, the blame for state issues has been placed at the feet of the federal government, namely the Biden administration, in these past two years which I think that the blame is misplaced because we have to remember there's a separation of powers and the state has their powers and they have their job to do and the federal government has powers and they have their job to do and the federal government is doing what they're doing, namely the Biden administration to support HBCUs. So we have to lobby the state government to do more in support of HBCUs, such as allocating proper funding to our land grant institutions, allocating proper funding to all state institutions, and also make sure that they allocate money to help in improvement on campus because a strong state HBCU helps the state and helps the community that that HBCU is housed in. But that's the state of our HBCU union, and we must fight to make sure that the state of our HBCU union is better in the years to come. Coming up, we're going to re-air our October 2021 interview with Cedric Richmond, Morehouse alumnus, and then senior advisor to President Joe Biden as he addressed misinformation that surfaced at that time about HBCU funding being cut by the Biden administration, and he also talked about HBCU funding in the American Rescue Plan. And later, I'll respond to critics of Vice President Kamala Harris and spotlight key achievements in her tenure as Vice President of the United States. You're listening to HBCU Post Radio on Sirius 6M we'll be right back
0: HBCU they just on post radio
1: Welcome back to HBCU Post Radio here on SiriusXM channel 142 HBCU. We're tossing it back to October 2021 for our exclusive interview with then Biden administration senior advisor Cedric Richmond. So we brought him on because there was a bunch of disinformation going on about the Biden administration cutting HBCU funding. So I reached out to the White House and I got Cedric Richmond to come on with me and also our political correspondent. And now today. State University graduate Tierra Thomas to talk about the Biden administration's outreach to HBCUs and also HBCU money allocation in the American Rescue Plan. So you're a 1995 graduate of Morehouse College. So how has your HBCU experience shaped your approach to politics? Well,
2: you know, I joke about HBCUs all the time. It teaches you some amazing stuff. One, it teaches you patience, because if you ever had to wait in the financial aid line, you know it's going to be hours long. If you ever had to register for classes, you know it's going to take forever and it's not going to be right the first or second time. Uh, But the the serious part of it is that it really teaches you um, what family is about, and it pushes you. Because, you know, you have to be twice as good. You have to work twice as hard. You have to do all of those things. But you're not a number at an HBCU. You're a person. And so when you need a hug, the school will give you a hug. And when you need a kick in the rear end, it's going to give you a kick in the rear end. And so for me, I always felt that the teachers at HBCUs were vested in me. I mean, they actually cared who, you know, my parents were, how I was doing And it's just a, uh, it's a great experience, but my mother and father both went to HBCUs. And on my dad's side, his mother and father both went to uh, HBCUs. So we know how important it is. And it's the great equalizer. My mother is probably from the poorest family in Louisiana. She was from the poorest town with 15 brothers and sisters. My dad was from Mississippi and they were wealthy. They met at Southern University where he went as a freshman with a brand new car. And she went with a used jacket. But they graduated the same year. Well, she always corrects me. He had to go to summer school, so she technically graduated first. But that's what HBCU, that's what it did. So it took her uh, from being poor Black woman from the poorest place in America, and it put on a level playing field. And she started a business. She was a teacher. She did all of those incredible things. And it's because of an HBCU. And so that's why we're investing in HBCUs, because they have a unique role, scope mission and it's one that no other university can fulfill.
1: I want to toss to Tiara for her mm-hmm. to ask me questions about what's going on.
0: So we know there's a lot of miscommunication, misinformation surrounding the Biden administration's proposal for HBCU funding. Can you give us a little clarity on what's actually going on with that? We talked about it a little, but we would love to hear it from
2: you. Well, yeah, let me give you the entire background. So when we came in, HBCUs were still dealing with the pandemic and still, you know, in a very fragile position. So in our American Rescue Plan, we gave them 4.2 billion dollars. We gave them 2.6 in cash to help them with their financial situations, and then we gave them another 1.6 billion in capital finance uh, relief for their investments, loans that they took out to build the campuses or rebuild on the campus. So that was a total of 4.2. And then the Department of Education gave them through grants another $500 million. So right around 4.7 billion just this year. Now, to understand how significant that is, federal government usually gives HBCUs somewhere around $800 million a year. And so that 4.7 is almost four or five times that 700 or 800 million that they normally get. Now, we still put in our budget money for HBCUs, and we plused it up, I think, another $240 million. And so that's what's there. That's what's fat. And the president, because he understands how important HBCUs are, said that if we're going to come with Build Back Better, we have to come back better than we were before. And that means investing in HBCUs who for so long have done more with less. Now it's time for them to do more with more, and they shouldn't have to do more with less. So his goal was to put $40 billion into higher education, $20 billion of which would be set aside or targeted towards HBCUs minority serving institutions and others. So that would have been $20 billion spread over, I think it was 10 years. So about $2 billion a year. So that's the proposal we put out there because that's what we want. And that was when the bill was somewhere around $6 trillion. Then it got cut to about $3.5 trillion, And now Congress is somewhere around $2 trillion. So we don't know what that final number is going to be. But this is money over and above any investment that HBCUs have ever had. We don't want it cut. That significantly, but when the bill goes from six to two, there are going to be some haircuts, but we're going to still have, in my prediction, and because it's the president's desire, my prediction is it's still going to have robust new funding for HBCUs in it, and they will compete with like-kind school for grant money, but we're not going to leave. HBCUs out there hanging. It's just not going to happen. And if you look at all the things we've done that I didn't talk about, whether it was our White House initiative on HBCUs and all of those things, we have tasked the entire federal government to figure out ways to use and help HBCUs more. So if you look at all of the research dollars that come out of, of the federal government, we say, look, all you big universities, that's fine with your billion dollar endowments and all of that stuff. But when you come apply, for this, these federal grants and research dollars, bring a HBCU with you, bring a MSI with you. And so we're going to make sure that we build capacity at these institutions so that they don't have to partner with people. They could do it on their own. And, you know, Morehouse has a medical school. Meharry has a medical school. You have a whole bunch of colleges that do uh, research. You look at our A&M colleges who should be leading the way in agricultural uh, research and development. So that's how we think about it. So HBCUs are important. It's unfortunate that the narrative got out there, but I think it got out there for a particular and specific reason. And that was to, you know, really disappoint and and persuade young Black people that the government doesn't care about their futures or their institutions. And that's just not true. But, you know, it comes right around the time of a Virginia governor's race. So it's not hard to figure out why and how people push out lies. And so I just wanted to come on and just, as best I can, give you the facts.
0: One last question as far as the HBCU funding goes. So we all know that HBCUs were built for a unique reason that serve a unique population of people. So under this proposal, I know that the funding will be available through competitive grants for, like you said, HBCUs, MSIs, and others. Why specifically are HBCUs grouped with other universities such as MSIs and other universities? instead of having its own specific pool of funding.
2: And some of the portions we give money straight to HBCUs is not competitive grant. When this uh, idea was created, it was to have 40 billion out there and then take 20 billion or take half of it and push over to HBCUs to compete with like kind schools, which is what the HBCUs wanted because they figured that competing against other like kind schools that Mm -hmm. they're gonna get their lion's share. And the HBCU family is okay with that. But we have to make sure that they're competing against like-kind schools. You don't want any of our HBCUs going up against a Harvard or Stanford with a billion dollars worth of endowment and facilities and buildings that have already been built up through investment. This is to level that playing field and give the schools the ability uh, to do that. Look, you know, doesn't give me great joy, but it's a fact. My high school science lab was better than my science lab at Morehouse. However, Morehouse still produces great doctors, great scientists and engineers, but the facilities were crap. And so what we want to do is make sure that those facilities are state of the art. Then all of a sudden, you never know. We may have the next Morehouse or Howard or Jackson State or Tougaloo, Tuskegee, Xavier, Dillard, Grambling, doesn't matter. We may have one of them as the next person with groundbreaking uh, research on cancer. So, you know, that's what we want to do, and it's important. But we followed the HBCU lead, and we're trying to figure out ways to make sure that the money we intend to get to HBCUs will, in fact, get to HBCUs because that's what we intended in the first place.
1: In getting the Build Back Better plan passed, and also with you know HBCU funding, how do you navigate partisan lines? Because it seems as if to a lot of people that was really holding it up is that the Democrats can't can't come to an agreement. So how do you navigate partisan lines in getting this passed?
2: Look, it's our agenda. We have enough Democrats to pass it on our own. We passed it. We're going to pass it out of the House. And so we're fighting in the Senate. We need two more votes in that cinema and mansion. And we're working them every day trying to get there. But this is unacceptable that we don't pass this and do something for communities, not only HBCUs, but think about what else this bill has in it. The child tax credit that lifts 50 percent of children, of black children, out of poverty in one year, lifts 34 percent of black families out of poverty in one year. And so what they are holding up is a lot more significant uh, than I think that many people realize because you're talking about removing lead pipes from all homes in this country. You're talking about investing in broadband. You're talking about expanding health care. All of those things that really impact the black community, whether it's pre-K, free pre-K at three and four year olds, child care uh, relief. So nobody's paying more than seven percent of their income in child care. Those things affect black families. And more importantly, they allow black families up with mobility because now you can go to work and not worry about the exorbitant healthcare that you're paying. And so it's important. We want it. Uh, We're not going to accept not getting it. And then the other thing that's important, and I want the HBCU community to talk about and fight alongside us is voting rights. We need to make sure that we are doing things to combat this legislation. So you're going to see us continuing to push on getting the voting rights bills passed and to the president's desk. So look, we got a lot of things on our plate, but you know, one of the things HBCU will teach you is you can juggle a whole bunch of balls at one time. And so, um, you know, we're going to Get it done. Don't don't go anywhere. Nowhere, right.
0: Yeah. HBCU Pulse Radio will be right back after this commercial break.
2: HBCUs
0: are more than a trend. Yeah. We're forever a part of the culture. HBCU Pulse always has you on lock. From the shade room to your favorite news feed and now on your TV and radio. We are, are, are the number one outlet for HBCU culture. Follow HBCU Post on social media and visit HBCUpost.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. You're locked to HBCU Post Radio. Baby, what you HBCU Post Radio is your number one source for news, information, and discussions about HBCU life and culture. From sports to politics and what's trending on yours. We're always at the heart of the culture. You don't want to miss this. Tune into HBCU Post Radio every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central on Sirius XM channel 142 HBCU. Welcome back in four, three, two, one, one, one. to HBCU Pulse Radio, the heart of HBCU culture. You're 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 listening to Randall's Thoughts
1: on HBCU
0: Pulse Radio.
1: Yes, so on today's Randall's Thoughts, I want to spend some time speaking about Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, it seems that the moment that President Joe Biden was sworn into office, there's been chatter about the 2024 presidential elections. A key topic has been if Joe Biden will seek re-election, and if he does, if Kamala Harris will remain on the ticket as vice president. The talking point of VP Harris being replaced as President Biden's running mate has picked up steam in recent weeks and was even mentioned in her recent interview with NBC's Andrea Mitchell. Dozens of Democratic leaders are saying that think that he's the strongest candidate They don't think that you're
0: the right person to be on the ticket. Why do you think that? I think that it is very important to focus on the needs of the American people and not political chatter out of Washington, DC.
1: Now me, I personally believe that this talking point of Vice President Kamala Harris being replaced on the 2024 reelection ticket, as well as the belief that she's been invisible during her tenure, I believe it's asinine. I really want people to understand that vice President Kamala Harris is one of the best vice presidents in the history of the country. I'd go as far as to say that she's been the best vice president that we've ever seen. And I don't think that's a baseless opinion. My belief that she's one of the best vice presidents in history is rooted in fact based on her performance in this position. If we're talking about her accomplishments as vice president, we can start with the constitutional duty of the position. Two of the key responsibilities of vice president is to preside over the Senate and break ties that's needed in Senate voting. VP has cast 26 tie-breaking votes in the Senate, the most in modern history, and the third most ever. One of her tie-breaking votes led to the passage of the American Rescue Plan, which included a $2 trillion COVID relief bill and $2.7 billion for HBCUs. By the Constitution. She's doing her job outside of acting as the president if the sitting president is removed or incapacitated. That's her job. But even outside of the scope of her job, she's doing other things as vice president that is not a requirement. That is her job. But she's even doing things that's not in her job description. How about her using her platform as vice president to advocate for voting rights and specifically the passing of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act? What about her advocacy for HBCUs as an alumna of Howard University that has led to record numbers of funding from the administration? And this is something that she's always fought for, even as a senator. What about her being the main representative for the Biden administration on diplomatic relations? I can go on and on about the amazing things that Vice President Kamala Harris has been doing in her tenure. But we should get down to the real issue. VP Harris has never had a fair shot from the start. She's had to endure baseless attacks that simply are not rooted in facts, engineered to weaken her chances to become president. Many people have been swayed by the disinformation about her heritage, job performance, and even her time as prosecutor. Vice President Kamala Harris is a talented politician with an accomplished career as a prosecutor, district attorney, and U.S. senator. She's just as qualified, if not more qualified, to be in this position than anyone else in history or currently right now in politics. Even with the shifting expectation of what the vice president should do, she continues to set the standard. We have to continue to combat the misinformation about Vice President Kamala Harris and allow her to do her job and get a fair shot for the future. So what we did is we have a full breakdown of VP Harris's key accomplishments on hbcpost.com. So make sure to go to our website to check it out and make sure to share it to ensure that we get the right narrative out about our vice president, Kamala Harris. So I need you to make sure to check that article out on hbcpost.com and share it to make sure that we get the right narrative out about vice president Kamala Harris as we approach election season, which is coming up really soon. But that's my thoughts on today. You listen to HBCU Pulse Radio. We'll be right back. What's going on, HBCU Nation? This is Randall Barnes, the host of HBCU Pulse Radio. HBCU Pulse Radio is the spot for the hottest discussions on issues surrounding the HBCU community. We always keep it real and we leave no stone unturned. We always make sure to be at the heart of every issue. And you might learn something if you tune in. So make sure to check out HBCU Pulse Radio. Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central on SiriusXM channel 142, HBCU. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the show once today. But before we go, I have to spotlight one more thing in the state of the union for our HBCUs that is super important on the federal level. I want to spotlight the HBCU Rise Act, which was signed into law by President Biden in December. The act was introduced in the Senate by Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen and supported by North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis and Representative Alma Adams. And Ms. Alma Adams is a North Carolina ANT alumna and a huge advocate of HBCUs on Capitol Hill. We love Representative Alma Adams. The HBCU Research, Innovation, Security, and Excellence Act directs that the Department of Defense provide more federal grants to HBCUs to assist in growing research capacity at our institutions and reach high research activity status. Currently, 11 HBCUs are considered research two or R2 institutions, meaning that these 11 institutions are recognized for their research efforts and are eligible for federal grants to further advance said research efforts. Now, that's great. That's amazing to hear that and see that because we know that HBCUs are leading in research in so many different capacities. However, there's still a disparity between R2 and R1 institutions. Research 1 institutions such as Auburn and Florida State get more grant funding due to their high research status. But still, the HBC RISE Act. Could help our institutions continue to succeed and soon get R one designation. We're gonna keep up with this story. This is super important. So make sure to continue to follow us on our HBCU Pulse digital outlets. And we're rooting for all eleven of those HBCUs and even more to get that R one status because we know our HBCUs deserve it. But ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the show on today. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was a very pivotal episode because I believe we have to be aware of what's going on in our political scene. Because it affects our world. You have so many state funded HBCUs and we have to make sure that we go out and vote. We put the right people in place to advocate for us and make sure that our needs are are heard but make sure to follow hbcu pulse on apple podcast spotify and iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast but also make sure to follow hbcu pulse on instagram and youtube at hbcu pulse twitter and tiktok the hbcu pulse and head over to hbcupulse.com for some very important articles we're talking about the accomplishments of vice president kamala harris we're talking about the hbcu state of the union you get a chance to see all the facts i talked about in this show and last but certainly not least you'll stay up to date on the news that you need to know about the hbcu community and last but certainly not least you can check out hbcu pulse radio every week on sirius xm channel 142 hbcu powered by the howard university but outside of that we'll see you on the other side and i will talk to you next week